Let us pray. Holy Spirit, continue to encourage us to believe in God's word and to open up our minds and our hearts uh, that we will embrace Smiley's words and continue to give us the courage to be kind, gentle, loving, and caring for each and every person that cross our paths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Neil. My name is Smiley. I'm one of the pastors here at Good News and really encourage you to open up your Bible. If you have a Bible, if you don't, it'd be a great idea to bring a Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word. We're walking through the book of 1 Timothy and today we're going to read verses 18 through uh, 20. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Uh, our purpose our purpose as a church, would you say that with me, is to make disciples together, that we really believe that Jesus is our model for life and for ministry, that if you want to know what, uh, what it would look like to be a good husband or wife or parent or child, Jesus is our model for life. He's our model for all of life, and he's also our model for ministry, that if we want to know how to make disciples, we look at Jesus, and as we've been doing that, we have learned that Jesus would win lost people. So we want to win lost people. And then Jesus would build believers. And so we want to build believers. And Jesus would equip workers. And so we want to equip workers. And then Jesus would multiply disciple makers and send them out. And we want to do the same. And maybe some of you would like to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Again, we're, we're starting a new wave of disciple making in February. If you'd like to be equipped to be a disciple maker, you could mark that on your card, stick it in one of the boxes on the way out, and uh, put your email address on there, and I'll be in touch with you about how we can equip you. But some of you, when you hear about Jesus being our model, you say, well, well, that was Jesus, and, and I'm not Jesus, and that's a true statement. But today we're going to see how Paul, he wasn't Jesus, but he followed the model of Jesus. Remember what we learned last week about Paul? We learned last week that Paul was the foremost of sinners and he was a disciple maker at the same time. And maybe you think you're not good enough or smart enough, but listen, Paul, Paul was a, he was the foremost sinner and a disciple maker at the same time. And we can be too. So this morning, have you ever wondered if you had a disciple making meeting with someone, what it would look like? This morning, we get to listen in. We get to listen into that conversation where Paul is discipling Timothy, and we get to see, we get to see how it went. And you see, a disciple maker is a lot like a parent. I mean, if you're a parent, everything is a teachable moment, right? And so it is with a disciple maker. There were two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and they wrecked their life. And so Paul didn't miss this opportunity. He said, look at Hymenaeus and Alexander. They wrecked their life. And here's the point of today's message. He said, don't wreck your life. Don't wreck your life. That's what he said. When he said, look at Hymenaeus and look, they wrecked their life. Don't wreck yours. 
And so Timothy said, okay, 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 how, how do I keep from wrecking my life? And, and the action step, I'm going to give them both to you at the beginning of the action step. Paul says, is fight the good fight. Fight the good one. If you don't want to wreck your life, then fight the good fight. Here's how I see life. If you run into a wall and it hurts and you keep doing it, you're a, you're a fool, right? Ouch, ouch, ouch. You just keep doing it, right? <laughs> But what happens if you run into a wall and you say, ouch, and you don't do it again? Then I would say, you're, you're smart, right? You're smart. That hurt. You don't want to do it again. But what if, what if you saw Hymenaeus and Alexander run into a wall and it hurt? And you said, I'm not doing that. Then you'd be what? Wise. You'd be wise. <laughs> That's what Paul wanted Timothy. He wanted him to be wise. He said, look at how they wrecked their life. Have you ever seen anybody wreck their life? Do you learn from that? And so what Paul says, if you don't want to wreck your life, then fight. Fight the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight? And what is the good fight? Um, that's what we're going to unpack because I don't want you to wreck your life. And please pray for me. I don't want to wreck my life. Um, so in, in 1 Timothy 1, let, let's begin to unpack this. This command, the command is to fight the good fight. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Now, uh, Timothy was not his biological son, but Paul had led him to faith in Christ. He was his spiritual son. Uh, this command to fight the good fight, I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Well, what is that? See, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. He ascended into heaven, and then he poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, right? And the church was birthed. And Jesus gives gifts to his church. For the health of his church, Jesus gives gifts to his church. And one of the gifts that Jesus gives to his church are pastor-teachers, people who are gifted to be pastor-teachers. And to be a Gospel, to be a pastor, a gospel uh, minister, uh, a person needs a calling, a calling. And when we talk about someone being called, there's an inner call and there's an outer call. I believe that Jesus called me to the ministry. I had an inner calling where, where it's like, how will people hear unless they're sent? So go and share the gospel. So there's an inner calling. And then to be called to the gospel ministry, there's an outer calling. And that is that other people recognize the giftedness of the person and they lay their hands on them and, and ordain them that this person is gifted for the ministry. And that's what had happened to Timothy. Timothy had felt called to the gospel ministry and it had been confirmed by others. Uh, let me show you that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Timothy, Jesus has gifted you for ministry, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the Presbytery. Uh, Good News Church is a Presbyterian church. It means we have elders. And the Presbytery would be the churches in an area. So the churches examined Timothy, made sure he was orthodox, and then they laid hands on him. They set him apart for the gospel ministry. We see the same thing in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. 
For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, that Paul, that, that Timothy was ordained. He was ordained. We recognize Jesus has gifted you and called you to the gospel ministry. And listen, we are not all ordained gospel ministers. We're not, but we are all witnesses. And we are all called to be disciples of Christ. And we're all called to be disciple makers. And we've all been gifted for that. In Acts 1, verse 8, in Acts 1, verse 8, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, notice what he said, but you, I so wish the Bible was in Southern. Because you know the difference between the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. In the Older Testament, only a few people received the Holy Spirit. But in the Newer Testament, all God's people received the Holy Spirit. But y'all, all of you, every Christian will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, y'all, all of you, not just the gospel ministers, all of you, all of you, shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't forget. Don't forget you've been set apart for the gospel ministry. And listen, the Bible says to us, don't forget. We're not all gospel pastors, but we're all called. We're all empowered to win people to Christ and to be disciples and make disciples. I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Remember when you were ordained that by them, both by those promises, <clears throat> you fight the good fight. Um, there it is, the command. The way we keep from wrecking our lives is we fight the good fight. And what is the good fight? The next uh, verse, keeping faith. The good fight we're called to is to fight for the gospel. We're called to fight for the gospel, to believe the gospel, to defend the gospel, to advance the gospel. The good fight begins with believing the gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus, isn't it? Remember a few weeks ago, we read in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel is the gospel the most beautiful, amazing, glorious thing you've ever heard? Is it your treasure, your treasure above all else? Is that what you believe, that it is the treasure, the glorious gospel of the blessed God? And we learned about the happy God. The gospel is about the happy God who invites us to follow Jesus now and forever so that we can be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the life to come. It is the glorious gospel of the happy God with which I have been entrusted. Jesus has entrusted to us the most glorious thing in all the world. It is the gospel. Do you believe that? What is the gospel? Didn't we learn that last week? Verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Don't we see every day a broken world? Don't we? And we wonder, wow, the gospel says what? That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Such good news, but it has bad news, isn't it? I mean, the bad news is, of the gospel is that we are sinners. You know what my experience is with people? 
they don't mind admitting they have a fault or two because after all, they're just human. But people struggle to believe they're sinners. Do you know how we know we're sinners? You know how we know? Because we sin. Have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever said anything wrong? Listen, have you ever had any thoughts that were wrong? The evidence that we're sinners is we sin, don't we? And if you're still not convinced, can I ask the people in your life? I mean, if you don't think you're a sinner, can I ask your family? Can I ask them, do you, what do you think they would say? Do you think they would say you're flawed? Do you? Oh, dear people, we've all sinned against God because we're sinners. And the God we've sinned against is just. He can't wink and sin. He says sin must be punished. And what we deserve for what we've done is hell. Well, what do we do? We can't do anything because we're sinners. But the glorious gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save helpless, hell-bound sinners. God the Son put on flesh, came to earth. And we're talking about fighting the good fight. Do you know Jesus fought for us? Do you know that? He lived a perfect life for us. He fought for us every decision he ever made, choosing obedience. He was fighting for us. And then he fought for us on the cross. He took our sins upon himself, didn't he? And he died in our place, experiencing the wrath of God that our sins deserved. And as we look at Jesus on the cross, we realize, man, our sin is worse than I imagined. Oh, but God's love is greater, isn't it? That he died for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He, he rose on the third day, right? He rose. And when he rose, he proved he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us the greatest gift ever given, eternal life. Didn't we see that last week in verse 16? Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Do you see that? Who believe in him for eternal life? That raises two questions. First, what is eternal life, right? What is that? And then secondly, how do we get it? Do you know what eternal life is? It's the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. Have you ever done something you'd like to be forgiven? That's eternal life. Do you know what eternal life? It's the opportunity to do life with the happy God. It's the opportunity to do eternity with the happy God. And how do we get it? It says we believe in him. Have you? Oh, isn't that what Jesus meant when he said in John 3, 16? Would you read this? Read, let's read this together, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you see what the verse says? That if we don't believe in Jesus, what's going to happen? We're going to perish. But if we believe in him, we can what? We can live forever. So the real key question is, what does it mean to believe, right? Because couldn't we say, well, everybody believes in Jesus. Well, so what does it mean to have saving faith? And it's really simple. It's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. And listen, if, if you'd like to be forgiven and like to do life with Jesus, listen, you can do that now, or I'd be glad to assist you when we, when we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, there was a day where I saw Jesus, and then I saw myself, and I admitted, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Have you ever done that? And if you haven't, won't you? Man, I am a sinner. The people in my family, they'll tell you. 
I'm a sinner. And secondly, you know what? I believe that you died on the cross for my sins to save me, and you rose. Won't you believe? And then we commit. That means we trust Jesus. We quit trying to be good, and we trust what Jesus did for us. Jesus, I want you to come in and, and, and forgive me and give me eternal life. Won't you do that? And I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you do that? And if you have, do you see what this verse says? You have eternal life. And I want you to understand, the biggest struggle we have as Christians, the biggest struggle we have as disciples and disciple makers is we refuse to believe the gospel. It's too good for us to believe. You know what it means? It means our failures are not fatal. The moment we believe all of our sins, past, present, and future, are given to Christ and we're forgiven. The moment we believe we're given His righteousness and we're beautiful in God's sight. Do you believe it? Listen, our, lie, our failures are not fatal. You know what it means? What the gospel means? It's that our lives are not futile. We get to do life with Jesus. We get to follow Jesus in this life. It means our life has a purpose big enough that every day of our lives we get up and we're excited about it. You know what it means? We've been given the Holy Spirit. We can change. We can win people to faith in Christ. We can be disciple makers. Our lives are not futile. Do you believe that? It means our death is not final. We live every day of our life looking to the future and knowing our future is good, then better and best. The biggest struggle we have as Christians is we refuse to believe how good the gospel is. That's what Paul is saying. The good fight? Come on, the good fight is to believe the gospel. And then it's to defend the gospel. Keeping the faith means to defend the gospel. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 20, oh, Timothy, guard. You know what a disciple, a maker tells us? Listen, guard the gospel. Guard it. It's precious. It's the most precious treasure you have. Guard it. Do you guard the gospel? Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed uh, and uh, have thus gone astray from the faith. If we're going to guard it, we know what it is. And if anybody should know what the gospel is, it should be you, because I teach it to you every week. You know what the gospel is? It's bad news, we have a sin problem. It's good news, Jesus died and rose for us, and it's our response. That's the gospel. It has to have bad news, good news, and our response. Uh, that means when you're sharing with the gospel, you always want to make sure that there's bad news and good news and, and then our response, right? It means when I make you mad and you want to go find another church, make sure. Make sure when you go there, they preach the gospel, okay? And how do you know? How would you know whether they preach the gospel or not? Because I've trained you to listen, what? For the bad news and the good news in our response. And the reason that's so important is there are people who want to take away from the gospel and there are people who want to add to the gospel. And to guard the gospel, you need to know what it is. How do people try and take away from the gospel? Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about hell. 
If you want a church that grows, you can't talk about sin. So there are people who want to take away from the gospel. And then there are people who want to add to the gospel. I mean, believing in Jesus, that's cool and all, but it's not enough. That's what these people were always trying to say. In addition to believing in Jesus, you need to. Um, have you ever heard a military person uh, be sworn in, have you? Have you? What do they say? That They swear, what? To defend the Constitution against all enemies, right? Both foreign and domestic. What are we called to do as Christians? We are to defend the gospel against all attacks outside the church and inside the church. Those who want to take away, those who want to add to it. What is the good fight? It's to believe the gospel. It's to defend the gospel. It is to advance the gospel. <laughs> Jesus' last command in Mark 16, verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. How can we have a treasure in a world that's so broken and have the solution to every problem we face and not want to go and share the gospel with others? That's the good fight. That's the good fight. Paul says, don't wreck your life. Give your life to something that matters. Fight the good fight. Believe the gospel. Defend the gospel. Advance the gospel. Fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. And he says, as you fight the good fight, do it with a good conscience. Uh, what is a conscience? Uh, Paul loves the word. Do you know the word conscience occurs in the New American Standard Bible 28 times, 28 times, and Paul uses it 18 of the 28. He loved that word. What is the conscience? It's the moral compass. It's the moral compass that God puts in our hearts when we're born. Uh, remember a few weeks ago we were in verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, Smiley, uh, so God puts a moral compass inside of us. Is it reliable? Well, when we sinned against God, everything was corrupted. A great theological term is total depravity. And what that means, it's not that we're as bad as we could be, but every part of our being has been corrupted by sin, including our conscience. So we have a conscience, and it still does convict us when we do wrong and, and, and remind us when we do something right. But it's been affected by the fall, by sin. But when we believe in Jesus, we're born again. When we believe in Jesus, the Bible says we become what? New people. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So we're given a new conscience. Our conscience has been renewed. And what we want to do as disciple makers is we want to program our new conscience with God's Word so that God's Word and God's Spirit become a very reliable moral compass inside of us. Um, didn't Jesus say in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Don't we live in a very confused culture? Don't we hear so many voices? Don't you sometimes just want to say, if I just knew the truth, this is God's word. 
we can take God's word and renew our new conscience with God's word. And when we have the word of God and the spirit of God, by the way, he's called the Holy Spirit. You know why he's called the Holy Spirit? To make what? Us holy. And, and, and when we have the word of God in our conscience and the spirit of God in our conscience, then we have a good moral compass in us, don't we? Oh, I don't know about you, but I have a super sensitive conscience, don't you? Uh, it's been programmed with God's word. It's activated by God's spirit. Look at this verse in Colossians. This is such a good verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Anybody watch basketball? Anybody watch basketball? They have referees. The referees have a what? A whistle. And whenever, whenever they see someone commit a foul, what they, they blow their whistles. Foul! <laughs> That's what happens in my life. Doesn't it happen in yours? If I say something unkind about my wife, if I say something hurtful to her, right away I hear that whistle blow, don't you? Foul! Foul. Isn't that the Holy Spirit? Isn't he the convictor of sin, isn't he? But he's also the comforter. First, he, he shows me my sin, and then he shows me Jesus, right? And he reminds me. Remember what Jesus said? If we confess our sins, not only does he forgive us, but he leads us out of our sin. Wow. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Wow. Do you have a well-informed conscience? Is the Spirit of God and the Word of God guiding you? Is it? Do you hear the whistle blow when you get out of bounds, do you? By which, indeed, you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, Paul is telling Timothy, uh, and I'm going to tell you, don't, don't wreck your life, please. Uh, and instead, give your life, fight the good fight to something that matters. Fight to, to believe and, and, and defend and advance the gospel. Do it with a good conscience. Um, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Oh, Timothy, never abandon the gospel. That's what Hymenaeus and Alexander did, and look what happened. Never stop listening to your conscience. Never abandon your conscience. That's what Hymenaeus and Alexander, and look how they wrecked their lives. Don't do it. Please don't wreck your life and pray for me, will you, that I don't wreck my life? Oh. And then he says something interesting. Uh, <laughs> Whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. What is that? What does it mean to hand them over to Satan? Um, listen, for our good, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his church here on earth. And if we want to keep from wrecking our lives and we want to fight the good fight and make disciples together, we need to find a church and we need to join it. And you say, well, why is that? So we don't wreck our lives. What he's speaking about here is church discipline. He's talking about church discipline. You say, what? In, in Matthew 18... Um, Jesus was teaching how his church should discipline people. So in Matthew 18, um, verse 15, Jesus said, If your brother, notice not your neighbor. You're not called to go to your neighbor's house and point out their flaws, okay? That's just not a good plan. But everyone who's a member of a church says, I want to follow Jesus. And if I get out of line, I want my brothers and sisters to come and correct me because I don't want to wreck my life. 
So he says, if your brother sins, go in and show him his fault in private. So you know someone's stealing for his bo- from his boss at work, you go and say, listen, stealing from your boss is wrong. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. The purpose of search Church discipline is to bring someone to repentance. If he doesn't listen to you, take two or one or two or more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. They don't listen to you. You take a couple of other people and say, listen, stealing from your boss is wrong. Um, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. You go individually, go together, then you tell the church, and then eventually the church excommunicates someone. Now, there's only one reason the church ever excommunicates anyone. You know what it is, don't you? What? Does does the church excommunicate sinners, do they? They'd have to get rid of everybody. The only reason the church ever excommunicates someone is their unrepentance. They refuse to repent. Well, somebody has good news done that? (laughs) Very poorly, yes. But, but, but what's it supposed to look like? Well, let me show you what it's supposed to look like, okay? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist among the Gentiles. Now, we imagine we live in an immoral time. <laughs> You'd think we live in, in, in paradise if you went to Corinth at that time, how immoral they were. But even in an immoral culture, there was something going on in the church of Jesus Christ that wasn't even going on in an immoral city. There is immorality among you, and an immorality of such a kind as does not exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. So there was incest. Someone was having sex with his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. You failed to discipline this person. For I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this. And don't we hear so much? Don't judge. Listen, God's word says you shouldn't sleep with your father's wife. You're not judging someone when you bring God's word on the behavior. If you think you're better than that person, then you've got a problem. But obviously, sleeping with your father's wife is wrong. Have already judged him who was, has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Isn't that what we read back in 1 Timothy, isn't it? I've delivered him over to Satan. Why? To bring him to repentance for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be um, saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The purpose of church discipline is to reclaim the erring brother, to bring him to repentance. It's to deter other Christians from doing the same and to protect the witness of the church in the world. And I love being a Christian. You know why? Because we're so messed up. I love belonging to the church because we do it so wrong. And the Bible records we do it all wrong. So so the church messes up discipline before discipline, during discipline, and after discipline. So the church, pushed by Paul, disciplined the guy. The guy repents. 
which is exactly the purpose of church discipline. The church, the guy repents, then they don't want to welcome him back. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians. <laughs> and in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5, But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which has been inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. You disciplined him. He repented. Welcome him back. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. He's repented. Welcome him back. Welcome him back. Oh. Do you know why it's important to join a church? Because the message today says don't wreck your life, and we're incredibly capable of wrecking your lives. And one of the vows that people take when they join a church is they say, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? Do you submit? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that you are capable of wrecking your life? Do you? Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Huh. Um, so what have we learned? We've learned some great advice. Don't wreck your life. And I want you to know there's no one who needs to hear that more than I do. Don't wreck your life. I'll pray for you. Will you pray for me? Oh, we see it all the time. Don't we see people all the time wrecking their lives? It can sure happen to me, and it can happen to you. Secondly, what have we learned? We've learned to fight. The way you keep from wrecking your life is you fight the good fight. To fight the good fight is to believe the gospel, to defend the gospel, to advance the gospel. Our biggest struggle is not sin. It's we refuse to believe the gospel. We refuse to believe the bad news of the gospel. Many of you are saying, I won't wreck my life. Oh. If you don't think you're capable of wrecking your life, you're headed to wreck your life. Listen, to believe the gospel is to say there is no one more capable of wrecking their life than I am. That's the gospel. Secondly, we refuse to believe the good news of the gospel. Our failures are not fatal. We are forgiven. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Our lives are not futile. We have a friend. We have a purpose. We have the Holy Spirit. We can be difference makers. Listen, our death is not final. The best is yet to come. The reason we gather on Sundays is not because we're so good. We're better than others. No, no, we recognize that we're capable of wrecking our lives and we don't want to, and so we gather because we believe both the bad news and the good news of the gospel. That's why, listen, we gather in small group not because we're better than other people. We recognize we're capable of wrecking our lives and we don't want to. The reason I get up every day and spend time with Jesus is not because I'm such a good person. It's because I see people everywhere wrecking their lives and I don't want to wreck mine. Do you? And I want to be reminded the glorious gospel, don't you? And so I get to get up each day and spend time with Jesus and say, Jesus, keep me from wrecking my life. Oh, and I get to preach the gospel to myself. You, here's what I want you to do to fight the good fight is, is learn to preach the gospel to yourself. Man. 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost all. And our failures are not fatal, our lives are not futile, our death is not final. Do you know that Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said uh, that you should, uh, when, when you talk about heaven, your face should show it? I mean, does your face show that you're going to heaven? And so he said, when you, when you talk about heaven, your face should show it, you know? You should be happy. And he says, when you talk about hell, remember what he said? Your everyday face will do. There's someone in our church I'm discipling. He said, smiley, this week, I intentionally went into businesses and I smiled at people and I was shocked. No one smiles. No one smiles. They're so discouraged. This is the best time ever to be a Christian. Well, smile. What do I have to smile about? Oh, let me show you. Hebrews 13. Uh, you know, people say, smiley, how are you? You know what I've been saying, man, I'm in love. Here, here's why. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. That almost seems anti-American, doesn't it? To be content. And you say, well, well, what do we have? We have what every heart longs for. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Are you like me? So many people maybe have hurt you or broken you. But I have one friend. I have one friend who never leaves, and his name is Jesus. Oh, when he moves in, he loves me, and he's made me a promise I'm never leaving. And the deepest longing for all of our hearts is that we would be loved and that we would be able to love others. And you know what happens when Jesus moves in? We are loved. And because we're loved, we're able to love others. So this week, this week, when you get up, when you get up, preach the gospel to yourself. You ever in a city, you see the buses, you know, they have the destination where they're going downtown, midtown. Now, let me ask you, does yours say hell? Or does yours say heaven? Don't you think people should tell by your face where you're headed, don't you? What if for one week, what if just for one week, you preach the gospel to yourself and make sure you're set heaven. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. And then what if for a week when you went out and you went into businesses, you said, Jesus, help me to have a smile. Help me to have a smile. And may someone ask me, why are you smiling? Oh, and when they do, won't you tell them what you've been taught? You know, I have a friend who loves me. Do you know I have a friend who forgives me no matter what I do? I have a friend who's promised to be with me every step of the way. I have a friend who, who's given me a purpose. Any of you know who Brock Purdy is? Anybody know who Brock Purdy is? He was the last player picked in the NFL draft. The last. He was the third place quarterback on his team. The first guy got hurt. The second guy got hurt. And he's playing. He's playing in a playoff game today. Do you think he's smiling? 
Do you think he's pinching himself saying, I never dreamed I'd get this opportunity? The NFL is not calling me, you know. Too old, too slow, too ugly. But my friend Jesus picked me to play on his team. You know why you should smile? Because Jesus picked you and you and you to be on his team. And we're not winning some silly game. We get to be involved in winning people to Christ and seeing lives change and eternities change and communities change one heart at a time. Are you kidding me? You know why I smile? Jesus has a purpose for my life. And you know what else my friend promised me? I'm going to get you safely home. And you know what he said? I have things in store for you that are beyond anything you've ever imagined. Oh, man. Hey, wouldn't you like a friend like that? Wouldn't you? You can, you know. You really, really can. Because his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful you came into the world to save sinners, even me. Thank you. Thank you for living and dying and rising so that we could have eternal life. Listen, if you're here and maybe for the first time you've come to understand what eternal life is and, and how to be forgiven and do life in eternity with Jesus, he's here. Won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come into my life and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. Oh, I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I pray for those of us who've received you that you would keep us from wrecking our lives. Jesus, help us. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to fight the fight to, to believe and defend and advance the gospel. Lord, for one week, for one week, may we get up and preach the gospel to ourselves, to put it on our face. And as we go out, may we go out praying that we would have an opportunity to share with others about our best friend. And listen, if, if you're here today and maybe your heart's tugging you that you'd like to be equipped, you'd like to be equipped to win people, to be a disciple maker, won't you mark that on your Connect card? Put it in the box. I'd love to be in contact with you and equip you. Oh, Jesus. We are so, so thankful that we know you and that you've promised that you will never desert us and you will never forsake us. And we pray in Jesus' name.